We are in the middle of the sermon series on King David, as Antonio mentioned earlier. Um, And we're learning quite a bit about the guy who uh, so far in life has had some tremendous uh, successes and some very dramatic uh, failures uh, where just through unintentional behavior, uh, he's caused quite a bit of damage. I think uh, in life, one of the things I've learned is that you can think your way into trouble pretty easily, or you can think your way out of righteousness pretty easily. There's this old country saying, ah, he's too clever by half. Do you know that saying? It's like, well, he just overthought a little too much and got himself into a bad place. Anybody ever, ever done that? Have you ever thought yourself into screwing up? Like, you knew better, and you knew you knew better, but you just kept thinking about things until you could excuse the behavior. Anybody ever done that? Or you knew the right thing to do, you knew what you ought to do, but you just kept thinking really hard until you came up with an, a good excuse not to do the thing that you ought to do. Anybody ever been there? If you've been there, just give somebody a high five next to you. It's like, yes, I too am an idiot. You know, say things, yeah, I really know I shouldn't do this, but uh, I'm just so lonely, you know, and that really justifies the behavior. Or, yeah, I know I should calm down and not just do this, but I'm just so freaking frustrated in life. I mean, you know, you can excuse this just this once. Or, yeah, I know I ought to forgive you, but the fact is you're just too big a butthead. Ever been there? You know, so the circumstance sort of justifies the pig-headedness. Or, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to reach out. You know, maybe I, maybe I could pass out the healing service card. Maybe I could minister uh, in, in my workplace. But, you know, life is just so complicated right now. And today is just a particularly busy day. And it's totally excusable for me not to do that. You just think your way right out of grace, you know, right out of that pocket um, and end up, uh, ended up being in a place where um, if you had just been simple, uh, you would not have, have gone. Um, whenever I think about this, I think, I think about this drill uh, we used to do back in my football playing days. I was a, I was a receiver and... Uh, and uh, we had this drill where one of the coaches would uh, send us out on a pattern and throw the football to us, and we had to catch the football. And what he would do is write numbers, different numbers, on the tip of the football so that it, as it was spinning towards you, you had to read the number and call it out before you caught it. So it's like tremendous focus. You had to focus not just on the ball, but on the very tip of the ball, on the number. That was spinning around. It was a really hard drill. And so you'd be like, four, seven. Um, if, you, if you did it right. And while you were doing that, uh, he would get uh, other players, like usually linebackers, and, and they would hit you as you caught the ball. So the drill was, you had to be incredibly focused, you had to read out the number, you had to call it before you caught the ball, catch it, knowing that you were going to get hit by some guy that outweighed you by 80 pounds um, every, every, every time. And, and I... Even, even then, I thought, oh, this is a life lesson, you know? It's like you're, you're flying across the field, you're going to catch the ball, and you would say to yourself, I got one job. I got one job to do. I'm going to focus on the tip of that football 
and catch it. That's ah, bam. You know, and you face plant. That's like life, you know, because if, if your mind drifted to the circumstances, you could justify all sorts of things in that situation. You could be like, well, you know, I can't read the number, but I'm going to catch it. You could do a little compromise. Or you could be like, I'm going to catch it, but I'm going to be ducking while I catch it. Or you could think football is a stupid game. You could think that too. And all sorts of things could go through your head. It's like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concentrate on tennis. That seems, that seems more reasonable uh, right now. Life is like that, right? If, if you think about too many things, then you often fail to think about the one thing. And uh, that's life. Everybody say, that's life. Just want to know that you're following. So in David's life so far, David has learned a lot about the problems of overthinking, of cleverness, of being too clever by half, however uh, you want to put it. He has managed to think his way into trouble, even though he's a really decent fellow, you know, and, and God really likes him. That, that has been clear. He's good-hearted. In fact, before we know anything about David, uh, we, we know from the Lord that he is a man after God's own heart, right? This is, this is a good-hearted guy, and God is really nuts about him, but he can think his way into trouble. So a couple weeks ago, uh, we read uh, this story where David unfairly is, has been victimized by the reigning king, King Saul. Saul's a very insecure guy, and a couple times Saul tries to kill David, and David has to flee for his life which is an intense circumstance to be running for your life. He has sacrificed a lot already. He's trying to do the right thing. He's, he's trying not to be rebellious, but he does need to flee for his life. And while he's fleeing, he, he, uh, he passes through this town called Nob, uh, which is a priestly town. There's sort of a, a makeshift a temple there. And he goes to the head priest and he says, hey, give me some, give me some food, give me some supplies, and the priest is kind of suspicious of what's going on. And so David makes up a, a fib and says, well, I'm on a secret mission from King Saul. I can't tell you what's going on, but why don't you give me provisions anyway? So the priest gives David some provisions in good conscience um, because he knows David's a good guy. And for those of you who are here, you know the rest of the story. Saul shows up a little bit later, later gets really angry at that priest for helping David, even though the priest had been tricked by David into doing it. Saul kills the priest kills every priest uh, in, in the complex, and, and for good measure, kills everybody in the town, even the children and animals. The entire town gets wiped out. Um, you know, Saul is the mass murderer, but David felt very bad about that and ends up taking into his camp the lone survivor, uh, this young guy. And then last week, read the story, David, exhausted by that experience, um, flees to a, the town of Gath, which is not an Israelite town. It's not a town in Israel. It's a town in the Philistine territory, which would be kind of like modern-day Gaza on the Gaza Strip. Um, goes to the town of Gath, which happens to be uh, the hometown of Goliath, um, whom he had killed in battle. 
and uh, David is carrying the sword of Goliath, his trophy at the time, and, and, and evidently David had thought his way into thinking that this was a good idea to go seek shelter from Saul and Gath. Like, well, Saul's not going to follow me into Philistine territory, and the good people of Gath are going to respect me because, after all, I did kill their champion, and the deal was whatever champion wins gets the allegiance of the losing side, so they're going to pay me allegiance and honor. Well, of course, that doesn't work out because the people of Gath are really angry at David, so they end up throwing him into prison. David has to feign insanity and shame himself publicly in order to get out of trouble. He barely escapes with his life. Too clever by half, right? He thought himself into a mess, barely escapes with his life, at least this time Uh, He doesn't get bunches of people killed. So in the wake of these disasters, apparently David has rededicated himself to just following the simple direction of the Lord. But that's kind of easier said than done. You know, life wisdom is knowing what the one thing is. It's keeping track of the important stuff even though there's a swirl going on around you, all sorts of dangers setting upon you and frustrations and lonelinesses and all that stuff. What's the wise course of behavior? What's the path through the trees? A lot of life uh, is like that. And sometimes it takes a lot of smarts to keep yourself from being too clever. And uh, we pick up the story today, the story of the life of David. We're going to read excerpts from 1 Samuel chapter 24. It's a story about where David is presented with a solution to all of his troubles, an apparent solution. Excerpts from 1 Samuel chapter 24, a little later in the story. Excuse me. You can follow along on your program or up in the big board on your smartphone Bible. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, so he's out fighting battles, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. Remember, David at this time has gathered a band of merry men. He's got 400 plus Uh, guys, malcontents who have rallied around him. He's become sort of a Robin Hood hero living in the wilderness, fighting uh, against uh, the Philistines and others to protect the the simple uh, uh, Israelite people. And Saul here is, well, right now he's headquartered in En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I know that pub. Uh, In this area of the desert of En Gedi, which is sort of this rocky, craggy sort of uh, uh, sheer mountainous place. There's all sorts of crags and cliffs and caves in that area. And he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Gedi is famous, uh, was famous among shepherds for having caves that were big enough to house entire flocks of sheep. So at the end of the day of grazing, you would uh, herd your sheep into a cave, and then they would be safe there all night. Huge caves all throughout this area, uh, this area called En Gedi. Uh, 
So uh, he came to the sheep pens, some of these caves along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself, needed a little privacy, went into one of these caves to do his business. Uh, The Bible is an earthy book. David and his men were far back in the cave. Well, that's interesting. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Evidently, there's some sort of prophecy about this, some sense. Although an alternate translation of the line of the Hebrew would be, uh, this is the day when the Lord is saying to you, I will give your enemy into your hands to do with as you wish. Either way, they have a sense that, oh, the Lord has delivered Saul to you. Uh, Take care of him. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Well, that's an interesting strategy. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Remember, Saul is trying to kill them all. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds. Evil is as evil does. So my hand will not touch you. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? David, my son. Who does he think he's kidding? And he wept aloud, You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. Saul continues, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Dot, 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 not mine. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. This is sort of revelatory here. Saul had a prophetic gift uh, from what we're told. Saul knew that David was supposed to replace him. It's just that Saul wouldn't go along with it. He decided to kill David anyway. Now Saul is admitting, yeah, I've known all along that you were supposed to replace me as king. When you become king, please just don't take any vengeance on my family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. They went back into the cave to see what was going to happen. Interesting story, yeah? All David needed to do to free the country from Saul's murderous tyranny and to assume the throne that God had promised to him was to kill Saul. That's all he had to do, right? And there he was, distracted by 
his personal business in a cave where there was no one else, no one to see what was going on. And David chooses not to. He takes a different route. Well, that's curious. That is curious. It was curious to his men. Uh, It was shocking to Saul when he found out the truth of what had happened. Like I said earlier, En Gedi, the area of En Gedi, is a a great place to hide. Um, Huge caves. People could get lost there. Lots of caves. So when Saul kind of blunders into David's hands, when Saul goes into the very cave that David and his men were hiding in, it's like, what are the chances of that happening? You know, hundreds to one that even if Saul were pursuing David, that he would have walked into the cave where David was, and he would have walked into that cave alone, apparently with his back turned, distracted. I mean, what are the odds of something like that happening? Seems sort of astronomical. And, and the guys who are with David kind of, kind of notice that. And, and they bring up this prophecy that they've been had and kind of reminding him, hey, didn't the Lord say that he would deliver your enemies into your hands and you would get to do whatever you wished? Well, look, I mean, God has served Saul up to you on a silver platter. You get to do whatever you wish to do now. We don't have to run around the country and hide in caves like criminals. And the situation is so unlikely, I mean, so supernaturally coincidental that you could imagine David thinking, well, this must be from God right? I mean, how else could it happen? This must be from God because it's so unlikely and so perfect, right? You can imagine the thought processes going through David's mind and the minds of the guys that he's with. And these are not not men who are shy about violence. Uh, These are men who have killed a lot of people, like sticking a knife into somebody's back, cutting their throat. They've done that before, that, it was a brutal society, right? They had no compunction about killing enemies. Here it is, the golden opportunity. And, and these sorts of things happen in life, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, in life you may be presented with what seems like a golden opportunity, the answer to your problems. Wow, I was just praying about how, how lonely I am. And suddenly, this entirely unsuitable person comes into my life. It must be from the Lord. I must date this man. You know, something like that, because it seems like the answer to, to all of your troubles. I, I'm, I must move away from all of the fruitful things that God is doing in this place to take a job, because that's the only way I'll get enough money. This job is the answer to all of my problems, you know, and you kind of forget maybe the rest of it. And you see David taking a moment to, to really process the situation and think, well, what, what exactly is it that I'm supposed to be keeping track of here? Am I supposed to be solving my troubles or am I supposed to be doing something else? And I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I imagine as David was ninja-ing up behind Saul, you know, he kind of made a decision. It's like, yeah, it's probably not my place uh, to... Um, 
take out the king that God put in place. It's probably, I don't know, it's probably not my place to entirely criticize Donald Trump. There, I said it. You know, maybe there's a different option for me here. And so instead of sticking the knife into Saul's back, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe just to prove that he could have killed him because David is innocent, but he's not dumb. Takes a little evidence to bear out uh, his story. God has delivered David's enemy into David's hands to do with as David wishes, just like the prophecy said. But David takes a moment and thinks, well, what should I be wishing for? What would be the most godly outcome here? And that's a, that's a good step. So David aborts the assassination, cuts off the corner of the robe. <clears throat> Still, David is oddly conscience-stricken about it later. He's like, oh, I cut off a corner of the king's robe, and if I were one of David's men, I'd be like, dude, just get over it. I would have slit his throat. You vandalized his jacket. Um, I forgive you. Um, but he's... You, you could tell David's thought process. It's like, see, I spared his life because I wanted to honor uh, the king. I wanted to show honor to the king. And that was a little compromise. That wasn't really honoring, was it? I don't know if I would have agreed with him, but you could at least tell David's thought process. Like, if you decide to honor someone, you know, know, honor them all the way. Don't cut corners. (laughs) See? (laughs) I don't think that's where that expression comes from, but it should. Uh, And David leaves the cave for the conversation. He goes out there and says, Yo, Saul, um, I could have killed you. See, corner of your robe. Uh, But let me say a few things to you. When David went out of the cave and called out after Saul, that could have precipitated the battle right there. I mean, the odds, again, are like 3,000 against around 400. So those were not good odds. David had a choke point. I mean, the mouth of a cave is he's in the strategically advantageous position, uh, but still, you know, he's vastly outnumbered. So David did that. He was pretty brave. And I imagine his men did not like it uh, since Saul was trying to kill all of them uh, too. Uh, But he goes out of the cave and he has this conversation. And and if you you read uh, the whole account, you, you find that that Saul, that David sort of blames Saul's murderous behavior on bad advice. I know you got some bad advice, Saul, that your advisors provoked you to, to uh, go after me, uh, but don't listen. Why do you listen? Uh, <clears throat> why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Don't listen to that bad advice, Trust your heart, Saul. I'm not sure that I would have said that to Saul. Um, But David supposes that Saul knows the truth. And indeed, apparently Saul does because he says, yeah, I know. I know that you're supposed to be king. Um, But Saul's, I mean, David's approaching him very diplomatically, which is probably uh, smart. I imagine he waves the corner of the robe, gives some evidence of his innocent will towards Saul. And then he says, may the Lord judge between you and me. It's like, Frankly, you've been a jerk, Saul. Frankly. And may the Lord judge between you and me. Like, you think I'm trying to be king? 
sure, the Lord told me I, I would be. Let the Lord choose. The Lord judge, because you deserve to be judged, dude. But my hand will not touch you. I'm not going to judge. That's not my job uh, in this instance. Um, so David's being realistic, like he's, he's speaking like, yeah, you've been, you know, a mass murderer and unfair and unruly and all of that stuff. Totally true, but I'm not going to kill you, just so you know. I'm not your problem. You're your problem. I'm not going to kill you. Realistic, uh, but, but principled. Why, why does David play it this way, uh, do you think? Because it's still, it's still an open question. And the key phrase for me is, from evildoers come evil deeds. I mean, David says that to Saul. It's like that old saying, Saul. From evildoers come evil deeds. Dot, dot, dot. You've had plenty of evil deeds. <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to do uh, even this one that seems so perfect. From evil doers come evil deeds. Uh, evil is as evil does, or as the saying from Forrest Gump goes, stupid is as stupid does. You know, is there such a thing as an evil person or a good person, or is there just evil deeds and good deeds? When it comes right down to it, it's the choice that we make. And evidently, this had gone through David's mind. You know, I stabbed Saul in the back. It seems sort of dishonorable. I'm going to be a dishonorable man by making a choice about what I do. You could have justified the evil deed. And that's, that's the thing, right? Totally excusable. Just like we overthink things and excuse all manner of behavior in our lives, because, well, I mean, the circumstances are extreme. It's like, oh, I've had a bad day, or whatever it is that tempts you to excuse doing something that is evil, or tempts you to excuse overlooking doing something that is righteous. I mean, you can excuse any sort of behavior, but the nature of the behavior is the nature of the behavior. And David made a choice not to excuse anything. Because evil done is evil. doesn't really matter what excuse you trot out for it. Righteous, righteousness undone is still sin. doesn't really matter what excuse you trot out for it. Totally excusable, but David feels like it would have been the wrong thing to do. He could have said, look, I'm a good person, but I'm in a bad situation. You know, God, God will forgive this. Um, <clears throat> Saul deserved to be killed. Um, David just decided not to be the guy uh, to do it. <clears throat> he says repeatedly, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, the one that God made king. And that's true. God did make Saul king. And I wonder if in David's head he wasn't thinking, so Saul is God's problem, not mine. <laughs> Let God take care of it. David, in any case, refuses to be too clever. Now, what if David had killed Saul? That's an interesting thing to think about. It would have been excusable. None of us would have blamed David for killing him. 
But what if David had killed Saul? Well, I don't know. What do we know about the story so far? Uh, David's best friend is a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan probably would have been upset. Yo, Jonathan, uh, killed your dad. Want to hang out? Um, David might have had some problems with Saul's family going forward, right? And it's not the best way to become king. You know, maybe David reasoned, like, I could kill Saul, take the throne, but then I'd have to kill Saul's family and maybe go to war against Saul's tribe, which is the tribe of Benjamin. And then a lot of innocent people would end up being killed, so maybe this isn't the way to do it. I'm not sure that went through David's head, but something like it went through Saul's head, didn't it? And said, just swear to me, David, that you won't kill my family after you become king. Maybe one of the ways that Saul excused his murderous behavior toward David was by thinking, well, maybe David would make a better king, but if David becomes king, he's going to wipe out all of my family and my tribe, and I'm just defending my own. I'm defending my loved ones, and if you're defending your loved ones, you're entitled to do whatever. Maybe that's how Saul excused wiping out a complete town of innocent people. You can excuse anything. You can excuse anything. And one person in this story decided not to. Might have been it. Um, maybe, maybe others, like the very rough men that were hanging around David, needed David's positive example. Maybe David was thinking, yeah, I'll become king, but in stabbing someone in the back to become king, am I encouraging these guys to stab me in the back? Should I do something stupid? Spoiler alert. David does some stupid things after he becomes king. And maybe he's humble enough to think, yeah, you know, I might not deserve to be king. And even after I'm king, I might not deserve to be king. And people might know that. And then what are they entitled to do? Kill me? It's like, I don't want to contribute to that sort of culture. It's the honor your father and your mother thing. You know the best reason to honor your mother and father? It's not because your mother and father are awesome. It's because if you honor your mother and father, you're modeling to your kids that they should honor you. And that's kind of how God explains the commandment when he first gives it in Exodus. It's like, let's just have a culture of honor, and then over time, things work better. That's my paraphrase of that commandment. You know, model the behavior that you want others to emulate. Maybe David's thinking about that. I'm not totally sure, but he refuses to make excuses. David um, declares publicly that Saul is unjust in his little address in the story. Uh, Being anointed by the Lord doesn't mean that you're always right, not by any means. It just means that the Lord has taken responsibility for you. So, Lord, it's your problem to handle At this point in David's life, after he had just accidentally gotten a town wiped out and just had to shame himself in Gath in order to escape with his life, maybe he's happy to remember that the Lord has anointed him too to be king in the future, that the Lord has taken responsibility for him even though he can occasionally do stupid things. Maybe David's just being humble, said, yeah, I'm sometimes an idiot. 
Saul's reply is priceless. You know, David, my son, is that you? Like, David, my son. It's like, yeah, you've been trying to kill him, and now he's adopted. Now you've denied him into your house. Anyway, uh, interesting that Saul openly admits that David will have the kingdom. He knows the truth. He's known the truth all along. He's just excused his behavior. Saul requests leniency for the family. David says, okay. But David returns to the stronghold. (laughs) Because even though Saul has said the right things, David knows that evil is as evil does and good is as good does. And so David's like, yeah, but I'm not going to come back to... uh, to the palace with you, uh, Saul. Uh, I'm going to still play it safe, and uh, you let me know. If you want to abdicate your throne, you want to bring me in, in and coronate me, great. But in the meantime, I'm going to play it safe. So, so David is being uh, practical. Saul's change in mood doesn't guarantee a change in behavior. And indeed, as the story unfolds, Saul didn't change his behavior a great deal over time. He just didn't have the spiritual strength to do it. So Saul continues to rule. And a short while after this, it turns out that Saul is killed by the Philistines, uh, by the enemies of God's people. And in fact, after that, some of Saul's household does go to war against David. So they didn't hold up their end of the bargain, uh, but David tries to hold up his At the end of this story, you know why God thinks he can trust David. At the end of this story, you realize why David, why God said that David is a man after God's own heart. It's because David thinks more about doing the right thing than about solving his problems. And I will say that again. David thinks more about doing the right thing than about solving his problems. Uh, That's what morality is, by the way. Morality is just having the humility to do the right thing rather than the convenient thing. It's just another way in which David displays a certain code of honor. It's like, yeah, I'm just dedicated to doing the right thing. And thinking about doing the right thing all the time, even in situations that are complicated in which it would be justifiable to do any number of things. He's going to do what he thinks is right, even in the midst of violent storms. And, you know, in in my mind, it's a little like that old football catching drill that I used to do. It's like, you got one job saying, focus, focus, boom, boom. I caught the ball. I caught the ball. I got whiplash, but I caught the ball. I did the right thing. And that's what you want to train into your receivers. You know, that's what the Lord wants to train into the people after his own heart. Focus. I don't care what threat is bearing down on you. I don't care what disappointment is bearing down on you. Well, he probably cares, but it doesn't matter how frustrated you are to your job. Do the right thing. Maintain focus. Don't think about too many things. Don't be too clever. You'll end up in trouble. If you got financial troubles, well, your job is to work hard and be generous. To be generous at all times. That's the commandment. 
Do not sacrifice your life for a job or something like that. Um, are you lonely? Well, love people. Don't worry so much about being lovable. Our job is to love. Even love the people who do wrong to us. Don't lower your standards of morality to get a love hookup. You know what I'm talking about. Do your job. Do the right thing, no matter what your emotions say. Is somebody mistreating you at work or somebody mistreating you at home? You don't have to pretend they're not, but you do have to remain respectful and loving. Right? Even if they're trying to kill you, as it turns out. You are God's problem. God has taken responsibility for you if you follow Him, if you've declared yourself for Him. Uh, you're God's problem, and, and that's, that's really good news. You're God's problem. Uh, he's in charge of the circumstances of your life. Just don't do anything to create ungodly problems for yourself. And there's deep life wisdom in that. Try not to be too clever. Now, that takes a lot of faith on occasion, and uh, it's that faith that I'd like to pray for this morning. I'm going to give you a few moments just to kind of uh, meditatively pray where you are. If you're like me, um, you have some stories about justifying stupid behavior in your life. And I think some of it, you know, probably was excusable. Some of it was justifiable. Just wasn't, just wasn't right. <laughs> Maybe you're being tempted right now uh, to do something stupid. Something that you can totally excuse doing. I mean, come on. But it's still stupid. And the Lord would just like to talk to you about that. Talk to you about rushing ahead with your own plans when you should really just follow the code of honor. Take a few minutes and pray about it. Hey Amen. I just want to bless you with a really weird blessing this morning. In the name of Jesus, I want to declare over you that you don't have to do the right thing. But you do get to choose it. And that's the nature of life. You can excuse a yes or you can excuse a no. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. But I bless you for the choice in Jesus' name. I bless you for the choice in Jesus' name. Uh, for the stupid choices you've made recently, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. Uh, for the smart choices you'll make this week, God bless you. You're God's responsibility. He knows. And it will work out fruitfully if you are patient and do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good 
If you do not give up, you will reap a harvest at the proper time, Paul says to the Galatians.